welcome to the Cyber Ranch podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch podcast. With us today is Tim Rohrbaugh, CISO at JetBlue, and we're here to talk about agile methodology as it applies to running your actual security program. Tim, thanks so much for joining us here at the ranch. Oh, thanks for the invite. First, a brief word from our sponsor. You're in charge of cybersecurity at your company, but do you really know what's going on with your security controls? Are they actually working to keep you safe? The problem is when controls fail, they fail silently. That's why you need Attack IQ, the automated insights platform to continually validate your defenses. Better insights, better decisions, real security outcomes. That's Attack IQ. Check it out at attackiq.com. And thank you, Attack IQ, for sponsoring this show. So, why don't you tell us briefly about your background in cyber and a little bit about your day job? Uh, you know, I got into it through kind of one of the tr- more traditional routes through the uh, military in the, I guess, late 80s, early 90s. I was in ComSec and then left there, went to CSC and on information assurance programs, worked at DISA for a while and then left in the, the late 80s or sorry, the late 90s and went uh, commercial. And at that point, there wasn't a lot going on, obviously, from security standpoint, except for in the financial services sector. That's where I ended up. One of the companies that um, was a client of ours was uh, Intersections. They were just giving consumers the first view of the credit data and ultimately created uh, identity theft protection. So I was a CISO there for 12 years, including the head of product towards the end and also the head of customer experience. And then went on to back into consulting again and ended up with one of my first clients being JetBlue. And so then came on board pretty quickly thereafter. So what do you do at JetBlue? Tell me a little bit about your day job. Oh, man. Day job is about, uh, you know, creating some form of, you know, program improvement, really trying to figure out how to invest dollars in security program to balance what's going on out there that we're all dealing with and keep the team motivated and, you know, really keep us moving forward. Leadership, technical skills, the whole shebang. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about this Agile thing. And I got to tell folks in the audience a couple of things real quick. First of all, Agile, for those who don't know it, very brief description. It's a programming methodology, a development methodology that replaced Waterfall. Waterfall was the traditional model of develop it all, test it all, release it all. And and there were these long waiting periods where the test team was waiting on something to test. And it was just an, an inefficient way to get code out the door. And so Agile was invented, and Agile works off of what they call stories, which roll up to bigger stories called epics. And the idea is that you are doing these uh, stories and epics, you're addressing them in what they call sprints. It's basically short bursts of activity. Uh, One of the most common themes in an Agile methodology is they have daily stand-up meetings, which are deliberately standing up in the room. Nobody's sitting down. The idea is keep the meeting quick, keep the pace quick, keep the sprints quick. That's why we call it a sprint and not not a marathon. And that's the fundamental premise. So taking all of that methodology and that mindset and applying that to the security program world is a very different thing because security programs are obviously all about risk you know, mitigation, risk management, adding controls, enabling monitoring. So to take these agile methodologies and apply them to a security program, it takes a, a clever twist. And it's something, quite honestly, for the listeners, I've tried before. I've dabbled in this thing. I met Tim, and Tim, it turns out, has had a lot more success with it than I. So, so tell me, you know, how do you do this? The security program improvements, your controls, your risks, your monitoring, how are you approaching this using Agile? 
You know, and it's one of those things, I mean, first, let me just say that, I mean, most of us uh, had been working in a compliance mindset, right? And a little bit was, you know, trying to put it into context of the business, the risks, the data that we have, you know, the threats. And somewhere along the way, you know, MITRE obviously coined the phrase threat informed defense. You know, all of a sudden here we're faced with trying to update the security program to threat actors, which have techniques, they have tactics that vary all the time. And so we can't make any long-term bets, at least in my, from my mind. And so one of the ways to approach that was to make something more akin to Kaizen, right? It's about small incremental change. These small changes, if you add them up you know, cumulatively, you're going to end up probably in the same place. But you're going to get a chance to make a change, maybe infer what the, what the result would be if it's successful, and then build upon it. And if you go down the wrong path and you don't see the results, you can always switch. So how do you, how do you go about doing that? Well, you, you mentioned a couple of things. One is you know, the foundation of agile. You have, you have epics, right? And then you have stories. If you think about, and by the way, this is a work in progress, but I'll tell you, this is where we've ended up. If you think about epics as you know some uh, domain areas of security, right? So it could be you said monitoring, right? That's one. It could be it could be fraud work. It could be just op- security operations. You know, each of those you define those areas, and then in there, the question to each team member, and let's say you're running a, a two week sprint, is what is it that we can make? What change can we make that's going to make an improvement in the security program? And when I mean improvement. I mean kind of in a couple of different areas. Number one is make the criminal's job more difficult or frustrate them, right? The small speed bumps. Or give us a little bit more visibility with respect to the things that we think they are going to be predictive and give us, you know, a better, you know, time to discover. So that's about that's the premise of it. We can dive into it more in detail, but that's that's the gist. Walk me through that then. Let's say that we're going to do an epic and the epic is going to be based on monitoring. We'll start with monitoring. Walk me through how the Agile process actually gets used and and how do you structure it? A lot of times you have to look for inspiration, right? The inspiration can come from things that you find that are deficient, you know, or something that you've attested attested in your environment that maybe you assumed. You assume the timing subsystem in your environment was working and all of a sudden you discover it's not, right? The question is, could that have been surfaced such that the monitoring team would know about these changes? Of course it's important. So you, you pick each of these things. Now, where does the inspiration come from? Sometimes it comes from incidents, security incidents, right? As, as like a retrospective, you know, at the end, what did we find out? What, how could we improve? Other times we're doing adjustments from threat intel. I've wrestled with this for so many years. Where does the inspiration for security program improvement come from? If we really believe that the ocean is too big to boil and we're just going to adjust controls and monitoring associated with the threat actors which are coming after us, then what we need to do is we need to put threat intel in the middle and have it orchestrate the improvement. So these areas of inspiration end up as stories. And so those stories then manifest themselves as small incremental improvement. The key, as you know, is to try to make sure that you don't bite off more than, you know, somebody can take advantage of in two weeks. You know, right. people want to have a sense of accomplishment. So that point system that, that you know, that infamous point system in, in Agile, uh, the key is you can make one point two hours or four hours, but you have to make sure that when you identify a work effort, that two points is twice as much. 
and three right. points is twice as much. And so then, then you get a sense of, okay, listen, guys, is there anything that we can do in two hours worth of labor that is going to improve our visibility, let's say in a timing subsystem, you know, having an anomaly or something like that. And that's where we, that's where we start. Okay. So you're, you're, you're literally breaking down your points to these two hour and four hour sorts of increments, looking at your entire monitoring portfolio, if you will, and figuring out ways to make improvement. Now I want to dive in a little bit more on this idea yeah. of threat intel driving things, you know, threat informed defense gets addressed exactly how through this process. So in agile, when you're thinking about like typical product development, right, the, the ideas come from business and marketing and, you know, and then there's product owners. Mm -hmm. What if, okay, what if you just think about replacing those with your threat intel folks? Because then what they're doing is they're telling you, here's what we're hearing about the techniques that these actors, let's say APT, whoever, 33, 29, whatever, here's what what the latest incidents have shown is their pattern of attack. Here's what the emula emulation plans are associated with those, right? Uh, here's the tactics that they may use based on the data sets that we have, right? And okay. so, so then that becomes, okay, if we have this, if we know this, then what are the things that we would do to surface this specific type of, of activity? Okay, so this this becomes threat intel as a driver. I'm I'm picturing now Baz. Mm. I'm picturing purple teaming. I'm picturing MITRE attack framework. Yep. I'm picturing all these things now, not feeding necessarily directly into the program, but feeding into the front end hopper of an agile methodology, that in turn is going to shape and inform the program in in terms of these meaningful bite size and quickly achievable goals. I, I get it. So so in that scenario then, who owns an epic and who sources the stories besides oh, the threat intel? Oh, you know, we played around with this. I'm still, you know, trying different things. I'm not sure that this works in every environment. But really what I've tried to do is find people on the team. I don't want to pigeonhole anybody. And I've always mm -hmm. been a firm believer that passion trumps uh, skills to start with. And so, so I want to find people who are passionate about an epic and they can own it for a period of time on the team. Okay. And from that point forward, they can actually kind of lead the discussion. And this then gets everybody invested in what it is that we're going to try. There's no wrong answer, right? Especially when we're talking about two, four hours worth of work. It's right. really about, you know, proving out what we say we're going to do and see if there's results in it. Sometimes those results are difficult to tell, as you know, when you're talking about like deterring a threat actor or making it more difficult. But other times it's, it's, it's much easier to see. And you mentioned at the beginning, one of your aspects of your day job is, is leading the teams and yeah. getting them involved and enthused. This is a phenomenal way for everyone on the team to get a taste of the leadership life. Is it not? I mean, this, it this, is. this sounds really good to me that I, I could be somebody, I could be a SOC one analyst and have this notion of, you know what, we could be improving our entire security posture if we just did this one thing. And you'll turn around and say, the epic is yours, run with it. Absolutely. You know, create the story. You know, what is it? You, you know, here's some foundational things. You need to, you need to identify what you believe, is how it's going to improve, what you believe the results are going to be, where we would verify this. You know, if they can formulate it, then, you know, let them go with it. And I love that you can find people who have backstories. I, I love, I call them retreads, right? Some of the uh -huh. best folks that I've had in security came from other areas. You know, none of us yeah. came out of it originally. I mean, we had geologists, I've had all kinds of folks and yeah. they, they bring their own thought process, their own academic background in these other areas and kind of meld it into what is art, right? We're, we're producing yep. art. We are. And it's funny, I've, I've done another show, um, another episode of the show where we talked an, an entire show that was committed to storytelling. Yeah in cyber and what a critical 
facet of the job it is. And, you know, from the CISO perspective, you're, you're going to the board, you're going to the executive leadership, you're telling a security story. You don't just have data. You don't just have metrics. You're telling a story and you're weaving that data and those metrics into that narrative, leveraging that internally and, and literally using stories and epics. In this case, from the agile methodology, I, I love it. It's and, and, and to your point about the backgrounds, I'm in thorough agreement there. Some of the best players I've ever worked with have been, you know, I had a guy that never even went to college or military. He just came straight out of high school and started working. Uh, English lit major, anthropology major, yeah. uh, guy who was in the army that didn't even do infosec in the army. Yeah. Um, you know, just that that giant mix of backgrounds. And to your point, when you when you work in a storytelling method, if that's your approach towards your program, the diversity of backgrounds is going to inevitably contribute. You know, like what what in literature would be considered to be a an interesting narrative voice, right? Absolutely. In fact, you brought up a great point, and that is everybody gets a chance to learn that narrative skill, right? Mm-hmm. And being able to explain it. The the burden is always on the speaker, is the presenter, is the leader to explain it in a way that everyone can understand. And so you have to have a lot of tools in your tool belt to do that. Yeah, no, that's perfect. That's perfect. And and it's leadership opportunity, it's it's storytelling, skill development. And at the same time, you're actually truly improving your program in meaningful ways. One of the one of the biggest frustrations I've found in this field that a lot of folks get into, especially in certain key roles in the organization, a lot of people go home beating their forehead on their desk thinking, I, I worked hard, I-, I fought all day, and the bad guys are still winning. Yeah, You don't get those measurable chunks of victory that you get to put in your pocket and go home with and say, today we did X, and we pushed the ball further down the field, and I feel good about it. Agile gives you a way to do that too, doesn't it? Absolutely. I, I think that's the key. You know, who wants to, to make changes all of the time and really see no results or have and not have closure to it? And this way, everybody gets to actually define something and close it. So how do you know if it's working? What, what are some hallmarks? You know, I'm, I'm a big believer in anything you're going to do. You have to be able to measure and you have to be able to measure what success looks like and what failure looks like. So walk me through some of the wrappers around this whole implementation. I've battled, I think, like many with respect to metrics, you know, should everything be measured? It is, it's an important concept. Sometimes you just can't. But what we're trying to do in a majority of the time is to obviously reduce the probability that an event will occur. Mm -hmm. But that's so tied to actually who's looking and who's trying to get in, right? And they could just decide to go on vacation, you know, whoever it is, and disappear. And you might relate, you know, the, the drop in activity to something you've done. It's not always clear. But with respect to things like monitoring or the or the efficacy of your endpoint security solution or whatever, this is where it's important. And you you said earlier, uh, purple team. I, I want to just drive home that point. You know, yep. being able to have a red team, or if you don't have the uh, the folks, you know, a red team at a box to actually test your assumptions. You know, run attack scenarios, run it with real techniques and tactics that the actual threat actors that you are worried about do. That's where you can actually see and measure, did our change surface this type of attack from the tooling? Did it show us that the pen testers were doing this or transitioning to X? You know, that's, you can, you can basically use your own efforts to validate. So, so what about reporting upstairs? When we talk about security from, from the executive level, you know, we, we talk about monitoring, we talk about security controls, but what they're really interested in is the risk management. Yeah. And, and we mentioned that at the beginning of the show too. 
Walk me through a little bit more of the physics of how this agile methodology is working with risk management. And when you talk about measuring success and knowing how it works, you know, how does, how does that whole flow go for, for the risk management piece of the, the gig? On two sides with respect to risk, I try to avoid, and, I've, and over the last few years, I've been really pretty good about it, really avoid using the word risk, but, but we'll use it here for a second. You know, okay. one of the things that I want to do is I want to specifically have folks focus in on a couple areas. And that is, is it more difficult to get to a final, uh, you know, exfiltration of data, right? You know that there's a lot of steps in between. So if you make that step, the, at least the first step, like say initial compromise or even discovery, right? And get a little bit of security by security. If you can make those steps, the skill level much higher, right? You don't want the the D team coming after you to be successful. You want the A team. And so you've got to eliminate the probability that those teams with lower skills can get in. So a little bit of, like you said, this is the narrative of first making sure that you're removing the easiest ways for folks to get in. The other one on the other side, though, is not just making it more difficult. Sometimes it's changing the value proposition, right? You got to understand you know, criminality is a business, right? And if you can, if you can alter the value proposition and understand the motivations, they're going to find another target, right? Right. So there's that side. And then the, the big one is time to discover, you know, you just, you have to accept the fact that, you know, if there's enough money coming at you, you know, enough resources, they're going to get to a certain point, you need to be able to detect it. So time, time to discover is one of those things that I think the board needs to understand, right? And that's a very specific labor and a very specific cost necessary to do it. Yeah, I know one very gifted CISO who was in the seat at the same company for quite a while, you know, much longer than the standard CISO tenure. And he had his board trained on dwell time. That was the one metric yeah. he brought upstairs was dwell time. That was it. Everything else was in hand. Everything else, you know, he, they didn't need to know the operational details beyond the guy got in, he was in for 30 minutes, we got him out, you know? That's where if you have the ability to actually have objective measurements there with respect to things like a red team in a box, which mm-hmm. then, then you have the ability to run these tests from various points and look yeah. at how long, maybe your third party, maybe you're in a hybrid model and your third party is SOC is monitoring, you know, you, you test everybody out. Yeah. Especially with MSSPs. I'm, I'm a big fan of running them through the ropes and oh yeah, you know, <laughs> there, there've been times and I'm always conflicted on this one. Do you warn them it's coming or not? <laughs> no, <laughs> you man. You, 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 maybe sometimes, but, but you know, if it's a, if it's a, a critical time period, but the rest of the time you got to test them, you got to test the yeah. assumptions. Oh, I, I think, I think definitely floating, floating a few things across the bow to see what gets spotted, you know, is always, is always a valid approach, you know, no warning given, but uh, to your point, sometimes you have to you know, if you're staging a big effort, you, you kind of have to give them a little heads up. Now, I, I got to dive back into something else you said, yeah. though, here, because I got to ask, you said you never use the word risk, and you are one of the first CISOs I've ever spoken to who is not leading with the word risk uh, in at least half the conversation. So I'm really curious to expand on that one a little bit more, if you would. I mean, uh, okay, so we all used it at a point. I used it in the military. I had to change, you know, because there's so the word's overloaded, right? It means something yeah. different to the finance folks. It means something to, different to the board folks. It means something different to security folks. Everybody, we're not, we don't have a shared schema in our brain for risk. And, right. and so what I do is I make sure that I, it's either, it's either described as a mathematical function or I talk about it strictly as probability and then I qualify it. So the okay. probability that a security loss will occur, an event will occur, that's risk. 
Okay, so are we talking um, like fair methodology? Are you getting into Bayesian oh, math? Are you getting man. into Monte Carlo? You know, I, it's like, yeah, I mean, I've toyed around with it. I think many of us have, but in the end, it's not my forte, right? I'm trying to get to a narrative, and what I want to do is use either the, the tooling to, you know, validate it, our red teaming, you know, look at some of the response times with respect to automation, you know, just the ability to surface sometimes. You know, you talk about monitoring, being able to ferret data out, multi-dimensional data out of a report, you know, is, right. is horrendous. So it's really just take a, take a standard analyst and see how long it takes them to get a certain aspect out. And you're running these tests all the time. Yeah, you become threat informed very quickly and you start to learn that you're not even looking in the right places. I mean, this is the beauty to me of purple versus red yeah. versus blue. We just, we just did a whole show on this just a little while ago, but this idea that you're you're fine tuning your ability to ferret out the data that you you probably already have all the data you need you're just not looking in the right place you're not doing the right cross referencing it's an exercise in learning to glean out of what you already have what's meaningful and useful as well as figuring out where you're not monitoring and what you need to bolt on and add i'm i'm yeah <laughs> I, I get that I mean, I, I have to say, though, that, you know, every I've done a lot of consulting and I've been in different size businesses. But as we go up the scale to complexity, mm -hmm. it always seems like we're missing the data, you know, and and we don't know about it until we have to until we have an incident or until we do our own testing and we just figure out, you know, it's not there. We would have seen right. it if we had it there. Right. And I've and I've also been through the um, but. But we've been feeding it to you for three months now, and the other guy's going, but we're not receiving it. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been through those scenarios, too. The bigger the shop, the easier those kinds of foibles are, I think, for sure. So we talked a little bit about benefits to the team in terms of giving them leadership opportunities and helping them foster those narrative skills. But there's got to be a bigger benefit to it besides that. What are the other positives for the members of the team that are going through this agile methodology? I mean, you covered one one thing. I'll just, it, it will, the end result is, is that anybody can look back. How many times have you put together, like, what did I do in this last year? You know? Right. Wow. If you have stories and you close stories, it's right there for you. You know, don't, we're not using it as a measurement tool. It's really f to look back and say, wow, what did I achieve? And by the way, what could I have achieved if I had learned X, right? And so it right. becomes this like self um, motivational tool. And I, I really like it. But, but I think for me, the most important thing is to really allow an individual to not to, to find their passion and not pigeonhole them. Because security, security is another one of those words. It's overloaded, right? We know there are many domains and you're never an expert. I'm not an expert in all of them. And gives people a chance to find out, wow, what, what really connects with my amygdala, right? What drives me? You know, how right. do I get excited? What do I understand that others don't, right? What's my kind of, you know, the concept of superpower? What's my superpower, you know, with yeah, respect yeah, to understanding? Yeah. Yep. No, I'm with you, man. Passion is one of my, my biggest things. If you, if you go to the, the Hacker Valley website and look at my podcast, you'll see at the bottom, every one of us has given our little quote and mine is all about passion. That without it. it, you know, there's no point in even being in the game. Absolutely. You can have all the skills, all the ability, all the knowledge you want without passion. There's no point in even showing up for the job, right? <laughs> I agree. You, you're dead on. So speaking of passion, uh, obviously you've got a lot. This is the topic you're very <laughs> invested in. And I'm going to ask you a question I ask every guest on the show, which is, what keeps you going in cyber? You get out of bed in the morning, you hop in your shoes and you run to the job, you run to the desk. What, what is causing you to do that? You know, I have, I think it varies over time, but I think in the last few years, I've really got into the psyche of uh, criminality and also the mm -hmm. business models. And so really just, I, I guess it's um, 
like like we said, and I think we both agree, security is art, and you never get bored because it's constantly changing. So, what yeah. aspect of it that's constantly changing really excites you? For me, it's just it's figuring out motivations, you know, figuring out, you know, um, uh, even differences in culture, you know, how that affects, you know, when you when you like Joseph Men's book, uh, Fatal System Error, when he's talking about, you know, Russian you know, hackers and the culture there. And specifically some of the stuff that came out of the book is fascinating. Right. But it's like that in every culture. And so looking for those differences and trying to understand really who the threat actor is. I'm married to a psychologist and I keep telling her she needs to come join us on the security side of the fence. Absolutely. Her skill set would have so much, so much applicability in our world. Yeah. Our own uh, profilers. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Wouldn't it be awesome to have you know, to have psychologists on every single team, that you, would be just... You just came up with a TV show, by the way, whole plot line. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. So bonus question. Um, I'm going to ask you one more. What are you looking forward to in cyber? I don't want to say the end of the compliance mindset, but I'd really like to see, and I've seen a lot of frameworks and different aspects that are trying to be formulaic come out. But I really think that MITRE ATT&CK framework has a lot of legs. And once it really yeah. gets known, then you know, you'll see a lot of the tooling change. You'll see a lot of the reporting change. You'll see, a, you'll see the, um, and I already think it has. I mean, our, our ISACs are fantastic now. We're really starting yeah. to catch on. And I, and I yeah. really like that. Yep, the sharing. The, you know, the, the, the counterintuitive sharing of security secrets, right? Yeah. We should team up just like they do, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And if we don't, then we're each of us a lone target learning the same lessons over and over and over again. Right? Oh, absolutely. Well, listen, this has been a fantastic conversation. Tim Rohrbaugh, CISO at JetBlue. Thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now. Mm-hmm.